This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Uh, let's turn our attention now to the United States, where former President Donald Trump held his first rally of the year in Arizona over the weekend. Yeah, that one's certainly making headlines. Also, the U.S. Supreme Court recently rejected President Joe Biden's COVID-19 vaccine or testing mandate for large businesses. Students in Chicago joining others across the U.S. to fight for more COVID-19 safety measures and remote learning. Let's find out more from Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief for The Straits Times. Nirmal, good morning. Let's start off uh, with a big story that uh, dominated much of the tail end of last week. A Supreme Court blocking President Joe Biden's rule requiring workers at large companies to be vaccinated or masked and tested weekly. The mandate apparently exceeded the Biden administration's authority. So uh, why is this happening even in the midst of this growing uh, Omicron surge, and what kind of influence will this have on vaccination numbers? Good morning. And yes, it is definitely a setback for the Biden administration and the vaccination campaign. The majority's reasoning was that the hazard of COVID-19 is present outside the workplace, so this mandate on workplace safety is not required. COVID-19 can and does spread at home, in schools, during sporting events and everywhere else that people gather, the opinion said. That kind of universal risk is no different from the day-to-day dangers that all face from crime, air pollution or any number of communicable diseases. Now, there's been a lot of dismay over this. But look, the vote was six to three. That is, the conservative majority prevailed. This reflects the makeup of the Supreme Court, one of the core items on the Republican agenda when Donald Trump came to power in 2016, in 2017, technically, was to fill Supreme Court seats with conservatives, and they did that. This reflects the political-cultural divide in America over mandates, which many Americans, but especially the Republican base, tend to consider interference from the federal government and an affront to personal freedoms. The three liberal justices dissented, saying that this decision stymies the federal government's ability to counter the unparalleled threat that COVID-19 poses to our nation's workers. Acting outside of its competence and without legal basis, the court displaces the judgments of the government officials given the responsibility to respond to workplace health emergencies. So a pretty harsh dissent. And there you have the divide. Now, Nirmal, in other COVID-related news, hundreds of students in Boston and Chicago walked out of classes on Friday. They were, of course, protesting, demanding a switch to remote learning as a surge in COVID-19 cases fueled by Omicron have, has disrupted efforts at returning to in-person education around the U.S. We know that the Chicago Teachers Union has been pushing for more testing, masks and temporary remote learning. Yet officials are still pressing for schools to open. Why is this the case and would their efforts be enough to make a change in protocols yes so this is the tension as it were between the need to resume in-person schooling and staying remote the fact is that no in-person schooling for so long for several semesters has meant dramatically reduced social interactions with peer groups not to speak of teachers and parents want a return to in-person learning but not at the cost of the health of their children the chicago teachers union which by the way is a very powerful union wants more safety measures and remote learning. The Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, has said it is safe for children to go back to school. The CDC says, look, we had a Delta surge in the fall. We were able to successfully keep our children in schools safely open, 
And we did that even before we had vaccines for the children. Now we have vaccines. So among the things that are really important to keep the schools safely open now is to get children from 5 to 11 vaccinated and to get teenagers vaccinated. And the CDC says there also should be, of course, more screening, testing and cancelling some sports and extracurricular events and so forth. And there are guidelines for isolation. So Chicago's mayor, Lori Lightfoot, is saying students need to be back in person as soon as possible. That's what parents want. That's what the science supports. Over in Boston, meanwhile, those students had walked out, and it happened in a few other places too. They did so in protest over the lack of remote learning options, saying that forcing students to attend in-person learning simply isn't safe. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. All right, uh, Nirmal, let's move on to the next uh, piece of news out of the U.S. A bipartisan piece of legislation introduced in the U.S. Senate last week would force defense contractors to stop buying rare earths from China by the year 2026 and use the Pentagon to create a permanent stockpile of these strategic minerals. Now, the issue here is what were these rare earth minerals that are being used for? I believe it came up last year as well. How is China able to gain control of this sector? And does the United States have what it takes to create this permanent stockpile that they want. Right. So these rare earth minerals are a broad group of 17 elements that are used in all kinds of tech-based things from smartphones to fighter jets. And approximately 40% of these rare earths are currently being mined in China. They are available in China, 40% of the world's supply. The Chinese government has been able to align and subsidize the rare earth industry according to long-term strategic plans. So it has developed a stranglehold on processing. Part of the reason it could do this is that mining for rare earths is a messy and environmentally damaging business. And around the world, in most countries, they just don't want to do it. So China has dominated the industry globally for decades, but this takes it to a new level. It merged the rare earth units of government-owned companies to form a new entity called the China Rare Earths Group. Now, here in the U.S., the Trump administration woke up to this and recognized this as a strategic weakness and proposed several measures to boost rare earth extraction, processing and so forth in the U.S. But the proposed legislation is still stuck in committees. The Department of Defense has only made a few small investments in rare earths. One reason for this is the resistance that mining would trigger. And another is that so far there has been a relatively uninterrupted flow of cheap rare earths, principally from China. So rare earths have not been such a priority here. The U.S. can ramp up, but it would need robust government intervention, which is contrary to its free market policy. It will have to manage the environmental opposition and the environmental fallout. And also it will take time, years even, to be able to unspool this dependence on China. Now, Normal, hours after a man who claimed to have weapons and explosives took a rabbi and several others hostage at a synagogue in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, all the hostages had been rescued. But this incident is still making headlines. Tell us more about the individuals involved. What was the hostage taker's motivation? And to what extent could this be a threat to any other Jewish institutions across the country? From what we know so far, this man was a British citizen and he did this with some idea of getting a woman released. 
a woman incarcerated here. He called this woman his sister, though now we are told she is actually not his biological sister. Frankly, we don't yet know if he even knows her, and we don't know whether he was acting alone, though it seems like it. What we do know is his identity. We know this was an act of terrorism. The president called it terrorism, and it also seems not to have been very well planned, almost to the point of being amateurish. Why was the synagogue targeted? Well, that is being seen as an act of anti-Semitism. What is interesting is the woman in question. She is Afia Siddiqui, a Pakistani educated at MIT, a neuroscientist who got her PhD at Brandeis University. She was found in Afghanistan in 2008 with two pounds of sodium cyanide and bomb-making plans for American targets. And when American troops came to question her, she grabbed a gun and opened fire, screaming that she was going to kill Americans. It was a highly unusual case. She has been in prison in the U.S. since then, but she became something of a cult heroine for jihadis. Al-Qaeda tried to trade a prisoner for her, and the U.S. government rebuffed that. Pakistani officials said they would secure an American hostage's release in exchange for her. That also didn't happen. But what is the nature of this gunman's interest or obsession with her? We do not exactly know. And finally, over the weekend, former U.S. President Donald Trump delivered a speech to thousands of supporters in Arizona, insisting yet again that he won the election in 2020. Uh, Nirmal, what were some of the key points that he covered and what kind of influence is this going to have on the midterms? Oh, yes, certainly. This was the kickoff in the midterm campaign. And most of the people who spoke on stage and whom he called on by name are running in the midterms for some office or the other in the state and have been endorsed by him. They are Trump loyalists and they are believers. They believe that the 2020 election was rigged and stolen. Now, President Biden won 306 votes in the Electoral College, while Donald Trump got 232. President Biden won in the popular vote as well by more than 7 million votes, although that doesn't matter so much in the American context. It is the Electoral College that counts. So in the aftermath of the November 2020 election, dozens of state and federal judges dismissed more than 50 lawsuits brought by then-President Trump and his allies challenging the election or its outcome. But despite this, polls consistently show that a majority, at least 70% of Republicans, still believe that the election was stolen. So what we saw on Saturday was really an alternative reality. And it does not augur well because Donald Trump and his allies, and these include conspiracy theorists like those in QAnon circles, have very successfully seeded the notion that the credibility of the election is in question. And therefore, all future elections can be challenged, especially if you lose them. This is a message that we are going to hear again and again, and it will definitely be a big factor, among others, of course, like inflation, for example, but a big factor certainly in the midterms. The very credibility of elections has become eroded. And we've been speaking with Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief at The Straits Times. Thanks very much, Nirmal, for joining us. We'll catch up with you again next week. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.